Hello and welcome to Vision of Zion. This is episode number two of the Extra series. I discussed in a four minute brief explanation in episode one the reason for doing these extra episodes. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm very grateful every day that I have on this earth to repent and to get my life in order with Heavenly Father and prepare myself for my coming life in the eternities. I truly mean that. Now, I've got some friends who are praying for the judgments to come and get it over with because they see the wickedness in the world and they just want to be done with it and move into the next phase. But I'm on the side of the fence that is grateful for every day that I have to get myself prepared. I don't know where you fit in that, but this is my attitude. I want to refer to something that Brother Hugh Nibley said, and you can listen to it if you watch his video or film, which is now on video, even uploaded in YouTube. It's called Faith of an Observer. It's an excellent piece. One of the best ways you'll ever spend an hour is to watch that old film. One of the things he says in there is, the angels envy us for two things and two things only. Our ability to repent and to forgive. And then he says, so let's start repenting as of right now. And that statement is so profound. When this life is over, repentance process it's too late and our ability to be forgiven is hinged upon our ability and our willingness to forgive others who have trespassed against us so again as i mentioned before in a previous podcast being forgiven is a subjective standard we're measured by how we deal with our fellow men now this podcast is going to be a bit sobering and i apologize for it but this is what I felt impressed to talk about. So we're going to get through it quickly and then move on to a lot of other great things. First of all, as members of Christ's church and as Christians, we have taken upon ourselves sacred responsibilities. The Lord told his people in ancient times, the house of Israel, this comes from Deuteronomy 14.2. He says, for thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. Now, the word peculiar translated Strong's Dictionary, H5459, the word peculiar also means treasure or special or particular treasure. So the people of the Lord, they are considered holy and peculiar. And that comes with wonderful blessings, as well as very important responsibilities. Listen to what is said in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? All right. 
we don't get a free pass when we join the Lord's house. We are chastened and we are put into the fiery furnace of affliction and tribulation and we're trying to get purified. And it's a process and we give the Lord permission when we join him and become part of him and call upon his name and claim to be part of him. All right. One more thing I want to read. This is in Doctrine and Covenants, section 82, which is an amazing chapter, by the way. We could spend a lot of time just talking about that chapter. But I've got to pull out just a couple of things here that he said. He says, For unto whom much is given, much is required. And he who sins against the greater light shall receive the greater condemnation. Ye call upon my name for revelations, and I give them unto you. And inasmuch as ye keep not my sayings which I give unto you, ye become transgressors. And justice and judgment are the penalty which are which is affixed unto my law. So again, when the Lord gives us knowledge and he gives us special privileges and information, revelation, he expects us to abide by those things. The greater light receives a greater condemnation if we turn our backs on it. So, this will set the tone now for something very significant. I mentioned there's different phases to preparation for the second coming. That the two major phases are there's after there's an apostasy, we have restoration, and then we have tribulations. And under the tribulations, there's cleansing, purification, and all kinds of interesting judgments that are going to occur in preparing both ourselves and the earth for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, we might feel smug as members of the church, members of Christ's church, to go, okay, well, gee, I'm glad I'm a member. I'm going to avoid all that. But not so fast. The sobering truth is that there is an order to God cleansing the earth. And I'm going to read it to you from DNC, section 112. And I'm going to skip, again, a lot of great content, but let's just focus beginning on verse 23. Verily, verily, I say unto you, darkness covereth the earth, and gross darkness the minds of the people. And all flesh has become corrupt before my face. All flesh. There's no exceptions in that word all. It's all become corrupted. Verse 24. Behold, vengeance cometh speedily upon the inhabitants of the earth, a day of wrath, a day of burning, a day of desolation, of weeping, of mourning, and of lamentation. And as a whirlwind it shall come upon all the face of the earth, saith the Lord. Okay, these are things that we read about in the scriptures. This cleansing, purification, judgment that I talked about is a part of the phase here. And here it now comes the most sobering part for members of the church. Verse 25, And upon my house shall it begin, and from my house shall it go forth, saith the Lord. First among you, saith the Lord, who have professed to know my name, and have not known me, and have blasphemed against me, in the midst of my own house, saith the Lord. Okay, so one thing we know for sure about the last days is that when the Lord decides to cleanse the earth and cleanse it from sin, it's going to begin where? In his house and go forth from there. Those who claim to know the Savior, the claim to know his name and have, and have known him, they're the ones that face the judgment first. Now this is very, very sobering. And you need to ask, we need to ask ourselves, 
Are we right with the Lord? Are we keeping the covenants that we have made with him? Now, I want to read a little farther on this topic. DNC 64.23. Now, I used to be told this when I was younger, that 64.23 was, quote-unquote, fire insurance against the day of burning that we just read about. But let's read this, DNC 64. First, verse 22. And after that day, I, the Lord, will not hold any guilty who shall go with an open heart up to the land of Zion. For I, the Lord, require the hearts of the children of men. Behold, now it is called today until the coming of the Son of Man. And verily it is a day of sacrifice and a day for the tithing of my people. For he that is tithed shall not be burned at his coming. All right, close end of that quote. Now, when I used to hear this, people said, yeah, see, if you pay your tithing, you won't get burned. Well, if you look at the context of this verse, and another thing I'll point out, these verses came out in 1831. The principle of tithing, where we pay one-tenth to the church, of our increase was not introduced until later. During this period of time, the church was trying to live the law of consecration, where we had all things in common, which is kind of amazing that we tried to implement that right in the first few months of the church's organization. So there was no tithing principle yet set forth. So what is it saying? It's saying the people will be tithed. And if you read the verse before it and the verses before, you'll see the context which this is referencing. Now that may sound like pretty strong language, but the way I read it now is that there will be people who will fall away. That we see, as we saw in section 112, that the Lord was going to exercise judgments upon his house first. And this verse seems to reinforce the idea that the people are going to be tithed. Now, I want to read you from the journal of Alfred Douglas Young. I discovered this journal when I was doing some research back in the 1980s. And I actually wrote a book about it, which quotes from his autobiography, as well as my thoughts about some of the things that he said to try and correlate them with Scripture and other revelations. So, Alfred Douglas Young, in 1842, when he was a new member of the church, he had an out-of-body experience. And I write about it in a book called The Refiner's Fire, an autobiographical account of the visions, miracles, and trials of Mormon pioneer Alfred Douglas Young, edited with commentary by Craig K. Perry, if you want to read that. I'm going to read now from his autobiography, which he wrote the last year of his life, I think it was 1888, this is what he wrote. He entered his body after having an out-of-body experience, and he writes about the things that he continued to witness. First, he saw the priesthood get restored at the hands of Peter, James, and John to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery. And then he says the following, After this, I saw that many saints had gathered together and they were persecuted by the peoples or Gentiles that surrounded them. Those who led this numerous army set a time during which they would receive under their protection and spare the lives of all who would desert the saints and go over to them. Now this sounds a lot like 
third Nephi when before the sign of Samuel the Lamanite that there would be a day and a night as if it were one day prior to the birth or at the time of the birth of the Savior in the old world. In this case also there was a time set aside where you could escape destruction supposedly. Here's what it goes on. he goes on to say that he observed in this out-of-body experience. Many began to go over, and the people continued to go until it appeared as though about one half of the saints apostatized and went over to the enemy. As the time drew near, which the enemy had set to come against the saints to battle, I saw the armies drawn up in battle array, and the army of the Gentiles seemed almost numberless. I saw as the armies confronted each other, two men go out from the ranks of the saints towards their enemies. As they approached, they lifted up their voices and entreated for peace. Instead of listening to them, the commanding officer of the enemy ordered his men to fall upon them with their swords. So here we have one half of the saints leaving on a day set aside. How many fell away before that? We look at our church numbers today where we have some congregations, maybe where there's activity of 15 or 20 percent, often in foreign countries. I know in my home stake, we probably have 60% activity. And then when you face this kind of situation, maybe it really is one-tenth of the people remaining. In the Book of Mormon, 1 Nephi, Nephi talks about his vision when he says that the church was small. So we should expect to see a whittling down of the numbers of faithful. I'm going to read some more quotes in a minute about that. So, by the way, here's to show you what happened after this, to let you know that there was resolution. Here's what Alfred Douglas Young recounts. As they rushed forward to do so, I heard a still small voice, but it was very piercing. At the sound of it, the earth trembled and shook. The weapons fell from the hands of the army of the enemy, and they fell to the earth as though they were dead. I looked towards the saints, and they had lain down their weapons and with their hands raised to heaven and were praising God for their deliverance. I again looked towards their enemies, and not a vestige of them was to be seen. What became of them was not made known unto me. The saints appeared to march off to the northwest in good order. So the Lord spared the righteous, and we, we're not going to go into that here today. What we're bringing out is the fact that there's going to be a falling away, cleansing of the Lord's house, as we sometimes say, cleansing the inner vessel. I'd like to close with two very important and related quotes. This was from the first talk that President Russell M. Nelson gave after he was set apart to be the president. He gave his talk in April 2018. Quote, Our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ, will perform some of his mightiest works between now and when he comes again. We will see miraculous indications that God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ preside over this church in majesty and glory. But in coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. My beloved brothers and sisters, I plead with you to increase your spiritual capacity to receive revelation. Close quote. Now, when he said those words, I thought back, about a quote I read from the 1800s by Heber C. Kimball, who was a counselor in the First Presidency to Brigham Young. 
And this appears to have been in 1868. Very similar quote. I want to say to you, my brethren, the time is coming when we will be mixed up in these now peaceful valleys to that extent that it will be difficult to tell the face of a saint from the face of an enemy to the people of God. Then, brethren, look out for the great sieve, for there will be a great sifting time, and many will fall. For I say unto you, there is a test, test, a test is coming. It's in capitals, that last test. A test is coming. And who will be able to stand? Remember these sayings. The time will come when no man or woman will be able to endure on borrowed light. Each will have to be guided by the light within themselves. If you do not have the knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, how can you stand? Close quote. That harkens back to 1868. Brothers and sisters, this is the time in which we live. We have got to get the Holy Ghost in our lives. We've got to repent of our sins. We've got to review the covenants we've made with the Lord and honor them. And again, I cherish every day and every hour that I have to repent of my sins and to try and get into alignment with the Lord and to live according to the light knowledge which I've been blessed to receive in my life. And I hope that you will too. Don't forget Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. We are supposed to be the light of the world. A city set on the hill. We're supposed to provide light to those around us and help them find the Savior and find rest in his gospel. The good message of faith, repentance, baptism, and then the Holy Ghost, which is going to give us the peace, the comfort, the direction, and the inspiration that we need to make it through the coming hard times. Thanks for listening.